Welcome to Musar for Sar Shalom and the Lapid Nation. I am Batya Gage. So glad that you have joined us today as we work on perfecting our Midot, our character. So glad to see all of you today. Um, it's a, almost 100, if not, it will be by the end of this class today. So hopefully it's not as hot where you are today. But it's that time of year. Last week we had Tuba'av, which was the day of love and matchmaking. And if you're single, I hope that you met your match, even if you don't realize it yet. Perhaps you met them that day. Now we head on to the fall holy days. And by, the, by this time in August in Texas, we really are looking forward to the fall holy days. Not only for all of the meaning that they have in them, but they also bring the promise of cooler weather. In fact, in a week and a half, we have the month of Elul starting. It starts on August 21st, which is about a week and a half away. And the month of Elul is very different from the month we're just in and, and will be ending. Elul is the last or the 12th month on the Jewish calendar. <clears throat> and it starts a day, a 40-day period of preparation leading up to Yom Kippur. The letters of the month of Elul, um, E-L-U-L, <clears throat> stand for an acronym uh, that says, Ani le dodi ve dodi li. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. And this comes from Song of Songs 6-3. It is said that during this time of the year, the month of Elul, the king is in the field. And what does that mean? It is explained with a parable. The king's usual place is in the capital city in the royal palace. Anyone wishing to approach the king must go through the appropriate channels in the palace bureaucracy and obtain the approval of a succession of secretaries and ministers. He must journey to the capital and pass through the many gates, corridors, and antechambers that lead to the throne room. His presentation must be meticulously prepared, and he must adhere to an exacting code of dress, speech, and mannerism upon entering into the royal presence. However, there are times when the king comes out of the palace and into the field. At such times, anyone can approach him. The king receives them all with a smiling face and a radiant countenance. The peasant behind his plow has access to the king in a manner unavailable to the highest-ranking minister in the royal court when the king is in the palace. So it's a very special time of year. It's a time when they say that the membrane or the, uh, div the dividing wall, if you would, between uh, heaven and earth is at the very thinnest. And so we can have a much closer connection to Hashem. Our prayers are received uh, much quickly and it's just a wonderful, wonderful time of year. Um, this summer, uh, as you all know, and for the ones that are just joining us today, we've been working our way through a Musar text called The Path of the Just just by Rabbi Moshe Chaim Luzato, also known as the Ramchal. And last week, we in chapter 16, we studied the attribute of purity. And Ramchal began by saying that the purpose of purity is to prevent the Yetzer Hara from influencing our actions. And 
you know, we have to ask ourselves, what is our motivation? Are we serving Hashem and doing the mitzvot out of pure love for Him, or do we have some other ulterior motive? Our thoughts, if they are pure, can influence us to serve Hashem with no ulterior motives, with pure love and nothing else. And Rome Call gives us, gave us several categories of types of people that serve Hashem for these ulterior motives. The first one was the one who, or, uh, who serves Hashem in order to deceive people and solely for the sake of honor or monetary gain, not for any reason to just serve Hashem. The person who serves Hashem for the sake of the reward. I want to get to heaven. I want to, uh, after this life ends, I, I want to be assured of the next life. Uh, so the rewards uh, is, is what is motivating him. And the last one is those that mingle pure motives with ulterior motives. Perhaps they start out with pure motives. They're serving Hashem with just a pure heart, but then people begin to praise them and, and honor them. And so then they begin to serve Hashem for the praise and honor instead of out of pure love for Hashem. We learn that the one who does not cleave, remember our word devachut, cleave to Hashem in pure love, will soon find that the Torah is arduous and hard, hard to bear, becomes a burden. But the heart of those who love Hashem and aspire to serve Him rejoicing in expressing that through the commitment of their love for Him. And also through strengthening themselves through refinement and purification. He who understands how to purify his heart will feel and be closer to Hashem and, and loved by Hashem. And then he concluded this chapter by reminding us that Hashem is not satisfied with only our deeds. If we're carrying out the mitzvot perfectly, but we have ulterior motives or or do it without thinking, that's not satisfying, uh, satisfactory to Hashem. He wants our heart. And it's always our heart that he is after. In chapter 17, Ronkal says, Acquired purity is easy. And we said, really? But it is easy if you have followed the right path. If you have acquired vigilance, alacrity, cleanliness, and abstinence. Then, going on to the next step of purity is easy. Uh, it's also easier once we really clearly see the pleasures of this world and their and their in their true nature for the little satisfaction, if any, that they really bring. Certainly not long lasting. If any, it's very temporary. He also said and encouraged us not to be preoccupied with the world or its or its pleasures, but our thoughts should be occupied with serving Hashem, who he says is the source of all our goodness and perfection. We should be preoccupied with Ein Ode Milvado, for there is no other but him. Then he gave us some obstacles to obtaining purity, and uh, they were lack the lack of examining these worldly pleasures and seeing them for what they truly are, that they really are temporary, they really don't give any long-lasting satisfaction. Um, also, the pursuit of honor, and we looked at that quite a bit last week, the pursuit of honor is an obstacle to having a purity is our attribute. 
And then also remember he said the lack of preparation and awareness. If you're just doing the mitzvot without thinking about them, you're just setting your Shabbat table just like you would set it any other night, then uh, uh, that, that can be an obstacle. It can get in the way of your serving Hashem with purity and, and for no other reason. Today we look at a new attribute, and we're going to be on this attribute for several weeks, um, and that's the attribute of piety. In chapter 18, if you're following along in our book, a couple of weeks ago we pondered the difference between righteousness and piety. A lot of people kind of see those as synonyms, but righteousness is doing the right thing, but piety goes much beyond that. Um, it, it's on a totally different level. And today we're going to just begin to scratch the surface of what piety really, really means. Romkal says that many think they know what it means, but what they're thinking of is a lengthy list of rituals and exaggerated actions, um, that that is piety. But he says that's really not it. When in reality, the nature of piety is very profound and very difficult to grasp. But we're going to try. Um, he continues that it rests on the foundation of great wisdom and through the rectification of one's conduct and is definitely worthy of pursuit. And it's uh, worthy of pursuit by those who are wise of heart, for it is only given to the truly wise. So we're going to be spending a few weeks on this one attribute of piety. And it, it, he's going to go many levels deep into it. He begins with a statement from the sages in Barachot 17a, Praiseworthy is the man whose labor is in Torah and who pleases his creator. Especially keep in mind that last phrase, who pleases his creator. One who has the attribute of piety, he's already at the level where he knows the mitzvot. He's doing the mitzvot. He understands how to carry them out. But piety goes beyond that. It goes much deeper. Uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago about a couple of examples that I gave you. Uh, the first one was the difference between an average person who wants to get healthy. Maybe they walk half an hour a day. They're trying to eat pretty good. And the difference between that person and the Olympic athlete who has a very strict diet, works out many hours a day. Um, and that's on a whole other level. We also looked at the example of, of uh, being married to in an arranged marriage to someone maybe you don't know you want to be a good wife but you don't really know this person yet you don't quite know what pleases them there's a difference between that and being married to your soulmate where you just almost uh know instinctively what pleases them and and there's just a big difference he gives us another example today and that is of the the son who dearly loves his father. If his father barely mentions that he would like to see something done, uh, the son is hopping to it. He's not waiting for the father to even ask him to do it, and certainly not for him to repeat uh, to ask him to do it again. But he, he's in a hurry to, to do what pleases and makes his father happy. And he says this same kind of behavior occurs in many of our relationships, close friends, spouses, uh, uh, parents, and children. I saw I saw a, a cute little picture of this the other night at Havdala, and I was sitting next to little Bo, who's just barely, just barely turned two, and that is Hillel's 
Arhazan and worship leader's youngest uh, son. And uh, Hillel was playing, his mother was off talking, and I was sitting next to him, and he was eating some cake or something, uh, when they light the Havdala candles. And he jumps up from that chair, and he runs over to that candle and holds his little fingers up in front of the candle. Did he understand what he was doing? Not at all. But he knew that it pleased his parents to do that. And so he did it just out of love for his parents. That's the only reason. He had no other motive whatsoever. Romkal says this same thing holds true for one who truly loves his creator with faithful devotion. I've mentioned a, a favorite quote of mine from a teacher many, many years ago that has stuck with me all of these years. And I think it, it so aptly describes the attribute of piety. Why do we ask, what's the least I must do? Rather, why don't we ask, what else can I do for you, Hashem? That is piety. For like the father in the, in the example earlier, the, the mitzvot are a revelation of Hashem's desires, uh, his wishes, what pleases him. Therefore, we should not say, what, what is the least I have to do and do that? We should go want to go beyond. If he likes this, I want to go beyond that. Uh, he should say, since it has become clear to me that he has indicated a desire in this direction, <clears throat> this should lead me on to intensify my efforts in this matter and expand upon them in any way that I can that would be pleasing to Hashem. Go beyond. I keep singing that song today, La Ela, Go Beyond. Piety, therefore, involves the comprehensive performance of all mitzvot in whatever ways and conditions that are suitable and feasible. It's kind of in the same category as abstinence. When we abstained from certain things, we did so voluntarily um, for, for various reasons, except for piety is, uh, re is regarding positive actions. They both go beyond what is required. Um, and pulling out from the mitzvah, if Hashem likes this, then I pull out from that mitzvah, then he surely will be pleased with this action. Kind of reminds me, if you imagine a young man who has just fallen in love with a beautiful young woman, and he finds out that she kind of likes yellow roses. Well, in order to please her, he's going to be inundating her with many yellow roses any way he can. Um, he's just going to go beyond. If she wanted one yellow rose, he's going to bring her a dozen. If she wanted roses on a certain day, he'll bring them every day. It, it also kind of reminds me of the verse in Revelation 2-4 where uh, Yeshua is speaking to the church in Ephesus. And he says, you've lost that first love. And maybe we have too. Maybe we need to get back to that where we're not looking, what is the least I have to do for you, Hashem? What's the least I do on this mitzvah? What else can I do? In chapter 19, Ramkal looks at uh, elements of piety. Now that we have a better picture of what exactly is piety, let's look at the elements of piety. The first element, he says, deals with relationships, both our relationship with Hashem, 
and our relationship with our fellow man. And it, it entails the meticulous fulfillment of mitzvot, of course, to one's maximum abilities, but even going beyond and adding to their perfection and not reducing them in any way. Next week, we're going to look even more at embellishing different kinds of mitzvot. He then discusses the relationship between man and his fellow. And if you read in the book, he actually spends the most of his time looking at this relationship. And, and he quotes from Pirkei Avot 6.6, to share the burden of his fellow. We've looked at this in other studies, but he says we should prevent any bodily harm that we can that might threaten our fellow person, including giving financial assistance when we can, um, and spiritually, we should try to do whatever we can to bring happiness and satisfaction to that person. Um, anything that we can that we know that will please that person. Of course, we have to be careful that we don't cause any harm ourselves of any kind to anyone in any manner whatsoever, he says. All these are considered Gemilut Hasidim, acts of kindness. We are also to pursue peace between ourselves and our fellow. And we know in our world today, uh, peace is so needed right now between us and our fellow man. Romkal then continues with many, many examples of sages. And if you're following in the book, I can encourage you to go back and read all of the examples. But I have just picked out a few. It seems like these sages have, have I've seen some memes where we kind of play this game, uh, never have I ever. And so they kind of play this game. They're asked this question, how have you merited such longevity? And this is some of their answers. Rabbi Zakai answered, I have never called anyone by a nickname. It's not a requirement, but he's going beyond, uh, that the minimum to not ever call anyone by a nickname. He also said, I have never failed to make Kedush, Kedush over wine on Shabbat. Whatever he had to do to get wine for to make Kedush on Shabbat, he did it. And uh, you can read in the book some, some drastic means he had to go to at times to get the money to buy wine to do Kedush on Shabbat. Rabbi Elazar ben Shamua said, I have never used a bait Knesset as a shortcut. A Beit Knesset is a um, synagogue, so he's never cut through the synagogue to make his route shorter. Uh, Rabbi Prada said, no one has ever arrived at the Beit Midrash, the house of study, before me. He also said, never have I, ever uh, never have I led the blessing after the meal if a Kohen was present to do it. So he deferred to the Kohen. Rabbi Nehunia said, never have I ever let myself be honored through another person's shame. Rabbi Zara said, I, I have never been strict with, within my own household. He also said, I have never walked in front of one who is greater than I. Rabbi Zara also said, I have never allowed my thoughts to dwell on Torah in unclean places, a bathroom perhaps. I have never slept or napped in the Beit Midrash, the house of study. I have never rejoiced over another's failure. 
So these were just some of their ways that they went beyond to please Hashem, to share the burden, show honor to their fellow man. The sages discuss what is needed to become a pious person, and they have some varying ideas. In Bava Chama 38, Rav Yehuda said, He who desires to be a pious person should particularly observe those matters pertaining to the laws of Berachot. And that would be the referring to the matters that deal with our relationship with Hashem. So if we want to be pious, those are the things that we need to dwell on in our study, he says. Others say he should observe those matters pertaining to the law of damages. A whole different section, but that deals with ways that uh, we might harm or keep from harming our fellow man. All different kinds of ways that uh, laws that Gen, you know, uh, regulate how we interact with other human beings. But even others would say he should observe those matters pertaining to Pirkei Avot. Um, if you've never read Pirkei Avot, it's very short. I encourage you to get a copy and read it all the way through. But they say the reason for this is because this incorporates both. It incorporates both uh, the things that deal with our relationship with Hashem as well as our dealings with other men. In Pirkeavot, uh 1-2, Shimon the Righteous says, The world stands on three things, Torah, service of Hashem, and acts of kindness. And in fact, if you've been through or are going through our three required classes for uh, conversion, you will notice that these are the names of the three classes, uh, Torah, Avodah, and Chesed. And chesed is acts of kindness. And they are fundamental fundamental to a pious person. Um, for they say, for piety itself is derived through chesed, acts of kindness. Rabbi Simlai in Sota 14a says, The Torah begins and ends with gemilu chasadim, acts of kindness. Rabbi Elazar says in Sukkah 49b, Gemilu chasadim is even greater than charity. For it says in Hosea 10.12, Sow for yourselves with charity and reap with chesed. And further, he goes on, In three ways is gemilu chasadim greater than charity. Charity is accomplished with our money. But acts of kindness can be uh, carried out with our physical being, our time, our hands, our whatever. Charity is for the poor. But our acts of kindness are for everyone. Charity is for the living, but acts of kindness can be for the living or the dead. We, we, do, we perform acts of kindness even for the dead. What does Yeshua say about acts of kindness? Let's look. In Matthew 25, Yeshua describes a time in the future when the Son of Man will come in His glory. Then the nations will assemble, and he will separate the people. Uh, sheep on the right, goats on the left. And those on the right will inherit the kingdom. Now, what do you think is the criteria between being put on the right or the left? Many in the people in the world would say, certain belief, you've got to hold a certain uh, religious idea, you've got to be whatever. What does he say? Matthew twenty five thirty five, For I was hungry, 
and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. All of these are acts of kindness, chesed. So he's dividing the people on the right and the left based on their acts of kindness. And he goes on to say, if you do these things for the least of these, you have done them to me. Rob Call now turns to a little bit different concept, still regarding uh, piety and regarding our relationships, and that is the concept of midah keneged midah, which we've studied before. Um, remember, that is the concept of measure for measure. It's a if you you can study that you can once you see it, you'll see it all throughout Scripture. Hashem often operates within this concept of measure for measure, and you can find many examples of it. In Shabbos 151b, it says that he may grant you mercy and be merciful to you. From Devarim 13.8, this means that heaven is merciful to all who have mercy on their fellow creatures. Measure for measure. That of uh, whose transgression does he pardon? That of the one who overlooks the sin that another has committed against him. Measure for measure. Romkal continues, if one is unwilling to make concessions for another or act with kindness, uh, reason dictates that he then will also be treated with the same measure of exactitude. And he goes on to say, no one is able to withstand being judged by Hashem according to this measure of exactitude. Would we want to be judged by Hashem with the same mercy and kindness that we show others? That's a question to sit and ponder for a while. Even David HaMelech in, in Tehillim 143.2 says, and do not, he's talking to Hashem, do not enter into judgment with your servant, for no living being can find justification before you. If we want Hashem to be merciful to us, we have to show that same measure of, of mercy to others. He who gives chesed, uh, kind acts, will receive chesed in return. The more kind acts he does, the more he will receive from Hashem. Again, we turn to the words of Yeshua. We also know that he taught on this concept many times. Uh, a few examples we'll look at. Luke six twenty-seven through 31. But I say to you who are listening, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. To the person who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other as well. Give to everyone who asks. And do not ask for your possessions back from the person who takes them. Treat others the way you would want to be treated. Measure for measure. Here's another one. Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And in Matthew six fourteen, a big one. For if you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. Measure for measure. 
Romkal says the virtue of piety also requires, a lot of us are going to love this one, that we should also not cause or allow any creature to suffer. So chesed extends even to our animals. Um, Proverbs 12.10 says a righteous man regards the life of his beast. And then he wraps up this first element of piety with this. Compassion and benevolence must be permanently ingrained in the heart of the pious. And one's objective should always be to please his fellow creatures and not to cause them suffering. Next week, we will uh, delve much deeper into this and we will look at um, uh, fear and love of Hashem and how to go beyond, how to embellish, how to uh, do more of what pleases Hashem. So let's go back and review before we disperse. Romkal began in chapter 18 by saying that many people think they know what piety is because they have this picture of a long list of, of very rigid actions that must be done and very exaggerated actions, but that that really is not the true picture of piety. That piety uh, is very profound and difficult to grasp and truly the only ones that will get it are the ones that are really, truly wise. He began with a statement from Barachot 17a, Praiseworthy is the man whose labor is in Torah and who pleases his creator, who seeks to please, who seeks ways to please his creator. One who has the attribute of piety already knows the commandments, already does them to an acceptable and satisfactory level, but he's looking to go beyond. Romkal gave us the example of a son who loves his father, and before his father can even barely utter that he has a desire for something, his son is rushing to do it, simply because he loves his father. Uh, Romkal says this same holds the same way holds true for those who truly love Hashem. And I, I I mentioned my favorite quote, which I think truly embodies piety, which is, "Why do we ask what is the least I must do? Rather, we should ask, what else can I do for you, Hashem?" Piety, therefore, involves the comprehensive performance of all the mitzvot in all of their ways and conditions. Um, it's kind of in the same category as abstinence. It's voluntary uh, actions that we do beyond the requirements of the mitzvot. Uh, where abstinence deals with things that we stop doing, piety deals with things that we do, positive actions, that go beyond the explicit requirements of a mitzvot that we know, we pull out from that mitzvot. If Hashem loves this, he's gonna love this. In chapter 19, Romkal discussed the elements of piety. And the one he discussed first is the relationships between us and Hashem and us and our fellow man. And he quotes from Perkevot 6.6 to share the burden of our fellow, preventing bodily harm, providing financial assistance, doing anything that we can that we know will please our fellow men. Pirkei Avot 1-2, the Shimon the Righteous said, the world stands on three things, Torah, Avodah, and acts of kindness. And he says that these are fundamental to a pious person. Rabbi Simla, Sotah 14a, said that the Torah begins and ends with acts of kindness. Rabbi Elazar in Sukkah 49b said, uh, acts of kindness are greater than charity because 
Charity is only done with our money, acts of kindness with our hands and our money. Where charity is only done for the poor, acts of kindness can be done for anyone. Where charity uh, is only done for the living, acts of kindness can be done for the living and the dead. Then we looked at the words of Yeshua in Matthew 25 about acts of kindness where he describes the time in the future where uh, the Son of Man will come in his glory and the, the nations will assemble and he will divide them between uh, the sheep and the goat. The goats and the, the sheep will inherit the kingdom of God. And what was the criteria for separating them into these two categories? And he talked about several acts of kindness and that if we do them for the least of our fellow, we've done them for him. Then Ramkal looked at the concept of midah keneged midah, measure for measure. Uh, if we want mercy from Hashem, we have to be merciful to others. Uh, and he who gives chesed to others will receive chesed from the Heavenly Father. Then we also looked at the teaching of Yeshua on uh, midah keneged midah. Luke 6, Matthew 5, Matthew 6. In Matthew 5, it said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And in Matthew 6, it said, For if you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will forgive you. All examples of measure for measure. Then he wraps up this first element uh, of piety with this. Compassion and benevolence must be permanently ingrained in the heart of the pious. And one's objective should always be to please his fellow creatures and not to cause them any suffering. Okay, that kind of wraps up the, the introduction to piety. Um, we're going to delve into it a lot deeper next week. And then uh, I'm certain we'll go into at least a third week uh, on just this uh, attribute of piety. Um, have a great week, if you would. Click like and share this video perhaps with someone. Um, I, I know Rabbi's been really wanting to reach 4,000 subscribers. So maybe when you share it, just say, hey, hit the subscribe button. And mainly come back next week so that we're not just left hanging here. And we can complete our study of piety. We'll complete our entire book before the fall holy days. And uh, start looking ahead to the month of Elul and all the, the special attributes of that month. Have a great week and I will see you back here next Tuesday afternoon.